Good morning. Welcome to worship on this 10th Sunday after Pentecost at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are delighted that you are here today. Uh, today we are going to have a service that is very Wesleyan. So John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, we will be talking about him today, and we will have prayers by John Wesley, our scripture lessons, our favorites of his, and uh, we will have hymns by Charles Wesley, who wrote over 5,000 hymns, um, very prolific. I wanted to announce this morning that uh, we will be having a baby shower for Kelly Wilson on the 8th of, Oct uh, on the 8th of August. Um, we will have it in the breezeway after worship so that um, people can, can walk by and greet her and uh, offer their best wishes. And um, she is expecting a baby boy. Um, Kelly, I don't know if I should tell you this story, but I was telling my youngest nephew about you, and I said, you know, she always has her hair different colors because of the children she works with at Albert Harris Elementary School, and, and they love it. Right now, her hair is purple, and so um, he really thinks that the baby might be born with purple hair, so I'm supposed to update him when the baby comes in the middle of the month. Uh, I told him, Charity has two children, and they don't have purple hair, but we'll see. The drama. <laughs> um, also this morning, I wanted to talk about masking. As you know, the CDC is recommending masking for indoor activities. The annual conference had a response to that this week and wants churches to make decisions about that locally based upon whether the vaccination rate is high or low and whether the hospitalization rate is high or low. So we are watching that very carefully. Uh, the vaccination rate in our area is low. Um, COVID cases are rising, but there are not hospitalizations. Um, so we are going to watch that closely. And for now, you know, we simply leave it up to your conscience how you choose to mask or not mask. When I am not leading worship, I will mask because... I do not want to, even though I'm fully vaccinated, be an asymptomatic carrier to any of the vulnerable populations with, with whom I come in contact, whether they are older people or whether they are the children in our facility who are still too young to be vaccinated. But um, we will be watching that closely, and if we make any changes, we'll let you know in plenty of time. Um, this morning, I know that um, you know regularly we we receive phone calls in the office about how Jake is doing, and every Sunday, um, everybody is praying for him and wants to pray for him the best that they can, and is seeking information about how he's doing. And Jill, if you would be so kind as to update us, we would really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you all today. Yes. It's truly, I can't tell you how glad I am to be with all of you, my extended church family, and to give a report on Jake. Um, he's wonderful. He's doing fantastically. He still is a curmudgeon, <laughs> which I have learned is a really wonderful attribute to have when you're facing what he's facing. But uh, today is August the 1st, so we have 12 more days of chemotherapy to do. Not only the temozolomide, 
but also the clinical trial of enzostaurin. So he takes both of these every day by pill, and we have nine more radiation treatments. So this saga will end for us on August the 12th. Um, he suffers a lot of fatigue, as you can imagine. That's the biggest culprit that we're dealing with, but otherwise um, we're doing really well. Um, is the issue the largest issue that he continues to have is this vision impairment, which we work um, with eye therapists during the week. We work with physical therapists during the week. I think our doctors and our and the staff that we're working with understand that we are highly functioning individuals. And uh, Jake often says, "What's the next thing we need to be doing?" He's very aggressive in his treatment. So. It is, um, even though these are tough times, we are finding the blessings. And as I stood here on Pentecost Sunday, I claim we're going to have a miracle in Mr. Gardner's life. Um, I know that tumor is gone, and it is, it is being, as we say every day with his cancer pills, that, that the, this treatment is removing this cancer from his brain, and the Lord is healing his mind. And I still claim that. It's like C.C. Winans is singing now. You said it, I believe it, and the Lord is going to work a miracle in his life. So it's a joy, again, to be with you and to claim that again. And more than anything, as I said at early church, I do not know how I would face this without you. Jake and I are growing in our spiritual life through this, but this church that I am here it's an honor to serve you, but I will never be able to express what your love, your support, your food, your monetary gifts, the, many of you making the drive to see us, the prayer support, the cards. I have a basket on our pulpit in the kitchen. Yes, we have a Methodist pulpit in our kitchen as our island. Some of you that have come to visit know that. And my mom is amazed at the cards that are in that basket every week. Just so please know it means the world to me to go to my mailbox and see something from you and to open up those cards and to read those messages and to be encouraged in my faith and in our faith. So keep those prayers going up. I'm going to stand here one day and shout. So get ready. <laughs> right, Linda? <laughs> But I also said um, in the celebration of Methodism that we are doing today, our first hymn is O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. And you know, in our hymnal, we often don't look at the footnotes. But I want to read to you on the page prior to this what this says. Um, o Four Thousand Tongues to Sing has traditionally been the opening hymn in Methodist hymnals throughout the world since the time of Wesley's collection of hymns for the youth of, a use of people called Methodists, which was published in 1780. The number of stanzas tend to vary, but the complete 18, um, <laughs> which are included in this book, seem never to make it into the hymnal, which is a good thing. We're going to sing all seven of these verses today, so be glad I'm not requiring you to sing all 18. Sing with a lusty heart, right? But this hymn, I think most significantly, was written in 1739 by Charles Wesley to commemorate his conversion on May the 21st in 1738 and was published in Hymns and Sacred Poems with the title for the Anniversary Day of One's Conversion. 
So I just ask in the spirit of our faith that when we sing this today, to remember your conversion. Remember when the Lord drew you to him and that he continues to draw him, you to him. And always let us sing at the top of our lungs that we have this wonderful Savior who continues to bless and to heal us, to heal us. Thank you. Will you please stand to the, for the call to worship? This is one of the prayers of John Wesley for which he is known. Let us pray. O oh, merciful God, whatever you may deny me, do not deny me this love. Save me from the idolatry of loving the world or any of the things of the world. Let me never love any creature but for your sake and in subordination to your love. Take full possession of my heart. Raise there your throne and command there as you do in heaven. Being created by you, let me live to you. Being created for you, let me ever act for your glory. Being redeemed by you, let me render to you what is yours and let my spirit ever cleave to you alone. Amen. Let us unite our voices in hymn number 57, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
seated. Our opening prayer is perhaps John Wesley's most famous prayer, his covenant prayer. It is typically shared at least annually on the reaffirmation of Baptism Sunday when we remember Jesus' baptism and renew our own. That is the second Sunday in January. Um, But if you were to Google Wesley's prayers, this would be the one that would come up because it is the one for which he is most famous. And it is about recommitting yourself to Christ every day. Let us unite our voices in prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children this morning for children's time. Uh, This morning I wanted to talk about a big word, disorientation. Disorientation is when uh, we kind of feel a little bit off balance. And I've been thinking about that this week because I love gymnastics. I used to be a gymnastics judge and uh, Simone Biles went to the Olympics in Tokyo and was really expected to just win everything because everything that she does is extremely difficult. She does things that nobody else in the world can do. And, um, and when, she, when she went through her, the first rotation of the team competition, she uh, did a vault in which she has to twist two and a half times in the air while she's also somersaulting. It's called an Aminar vault. And she lost track of where she was in the air. Um, the, um, you know, the, you've probably seen like in, in ice skating, sometimes uh, an ice skater will do a jump and as they go up into the air, they're either tilted a little bit and so they'll pop out of it. Um, instead of doing three rotations, they'll do one, they'll just turn around one time. And that's what happened to her. She, she did one and a half of two and a half twists and could not figure out where she was. And so she, she stretched her arms out and popped out of the vault um, and, and landed really hard and uh, tried to explain to people that she had what elite gymnasts call the twisties, uh, where they, they really can't tell up from down when they are somersaulting and twisting. And Simone Biles actually does a move where she somersaults twice in the air while she's twisting three times in the air. And obviously doing that and not being able to tell up from down when you're in the middle of that would be quite terrifying. So she withdrew from the, the uh, team, team um, and the all-around and two of the event finals for her own safety and just explained or tried to explain to people that her mind and her body weren't in sync. Um, well, that happens to other people. 
um, fighter pilots get that. They don't call it the twisties, they call it having their gyro uncaged, uh, and they, they, they lose their sense of where they are in the air and what's up and what's down, and so they usually give them a week or a week and a half off until everything gets kind of back to normal, which is what's going to happen for her. Um, so I was thinking about that this week. I know a lot of people have been very disappointed that she hasn't been competing, but it really would be extremely dangerous because when she does these amazing gymnastic feats, she is really high, really, really high in the air. So uh, it would be dangerous, um, just like it's dangerous for a pilot to be way high up in the air and get up and down confused. So I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about it how at some times we're all disoriented. You know, things happen in our lives that are disorienting, that we didn't expect to happen. And sometimes they're happy things, and sometimes they're sad things. But sometimes it can feel like our world is just spinning. Um, it kind of feels like it's spinning out of control, but we know it isn't. It just, for the time being, it kind of feels that way. And in the book of Psalms, it says, in lots of different places, God, let me rest in you. Let me rest in you. And I think when we're disoriented, when we feel like the world is spinning out of control, uh, those are the words that we need to remember. Resting in God. When we rest in God, we find our world stops spinning quite so much because what, what is constant is God's love for us. And God loves us when the world is spinning. God loves us when the world is not spinning. God loves us all the time. And if we remember that and rest in that and trust in that, I promise the disorientation will eventually wane, uh, the twisties will stop, and we will be able to, um, with God's help, find our world righted again. Thanks for listening this morning. I look forward to next Sunday. As we prepare to receive God's holy word for us, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for forming us into the church, the body of Christ in the world. Help us to live as he taught us, loving you, loving neighbor, unified in Christ, using our varied gifts and skills in the service of ministry, inspired by your holy work. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is found in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, beginning with the 25th verse. These lessons and our lessons next week are, are lessons to which John Wesley often referred and that he considered to be uh, some of his favorite verses. I will sprinkle, sp sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson is found in the sixth chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. 
for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So today I wanted to talk about the top 10 reasons I am a United Methodist. I'm asking for a moment of personal privilege this Sunday and next to to talk about that. I used to love David Letterman's top 10 list. It was my favorite part of his show, in addition to stupid pet tricks and stupid human tricks, which I liked quite as well. But I decided that I would come up with my own top 10 list of of why I'm a United Methodist. I've been in ministry now, this is my 33rd year, and I have been a United Methodist since since, uh, my confirmation. And before that, I was a Protestant uh, because uh, when you grow up on military bases, you have three choices for worship on Sunday if you live on post. You can be a Protestant, a Catholic, or you can be Jewish. And all the services are usually held in the same place, and they just change the altars. But um, I love being a United Methodist. Methodism has its own distinctive flavor and witness that is found in its theology and in its practice. Um, I love Wesleyan hymns, all of our hymns by Charles Wesley, this morning. In our hymnal, we also have one by John Wesley. Um, But I can think of a hundred reasons that I am a United Methodist, why I'm a United Methodist, but I wanted to do my top ten, so I'll do five today and five next, next week. And what I really would like for you to do is come up with your own, the top five reasons this week that you're a United Methodist. Top five reasons why you come to this church and uh, how Wesleyan theology frames the way that you follow Jesus. Now, if I thought of a hundred, perhaps I could preach a four-hour sermon. Um, That is what John Wesley did. He would go to a street corner and he would preach these three and four and five-hour-long sermons and people would respond really enthusiastically and emotionally, and he was always shocked by this. Uh, He was yawning in the middle of his own sermon uh, and couldn't understand why people were so reactive, but uh, hence the Holy Spirit is at work and we know it. But I really do um, encourage you to come up with your own top ten, five this week, five next week, and if any of you would like to share them in worship, I will happily yield the pulpit. I would love to hear them. I think it's a really wonderful way of keeping your faith alive, to be intentional about why you believe what you believe and live into that faith the way that you do. So I'm going to do this in inverse order. So the number 10 reason why I'm a United Methodist is because United Methodism calls us all to be witnesses, all of us. I have been so blessed over the years by uh, people I have come to know through United Methodist practice and United Methodist worship. 
not only when I was when I was young, but you know, since I've been ordained, my practice of ministry has been so shaped by the people that God has blessed me with um, in the congregations that I've been been graced to serve. I grew up in a Navy family, and we moved all the time, all the time. Sometimes we would be, we would live in one place, and then my father would have to go to school in another place for three months or six months, and then we'd move either to another place or back to the first place where we lived. So I would have three different addresses that year. I would go to two, sometimes three different schools that year. And by the time I went to college, I had moved 19 times. I'd gone to four different high schools, and that just seemed normal to me. In a way, it, it um, was a very helpful thing, and it was so normal to me that it really wasn't until graduate school when I realized that not everybody does that. Um, it, was, it, was, it was interesting, but even though we lived in a lot of places, and went, I went to a lot of schools, and we lived in a lot of houses, what was always a constant for me was the church. We always went to church wherever we lived, and uh, that was a very centering experience for me, and it still is. I mean, United Methodist clergy move around a lot, but United Methodist worship is, is fairly uniform, and being able to live out one's faith in a community of people who are trying to live out their faith as well is tremendously centering. Um, I love the fact that I grew up in United Methodist churches, and I learned about being a Christian there, and um, I am grateful for that because of the witness, the witness of people who taught me how to serve, how to think, how to love, how to forgive. Um, I just think being in a, a community when you are trying to live into your faith is so essential, and I am grateful for it every day. I'm grateful for it today. I am grateful for everybody here who uh, surrounds me and uh, as we surround each other in Christian love, growing in our faith. Number nine, I'm a United Methodist because Wesleyan theology is rooted in grace. Now, this is something that really sets Methodism apart. We are loved by God from the very moment we are. From the very moment we come into being, we are loved by God. And John Wesley had a word for that, provenient. Provenient grace, the grace that comes before. From the very moment we are, we are loved by God. So that is the starting point of our theology. It's not fear. It is not duty. It is not what we agree on. It is not what we affirm we believe, before we can even form a thought or speak a thought, God loves us. That is provenient grace. As we grow, we, we are able to grasp hold of a second kind of grace that John Wesley talked about, which is called justifying grace. Justifying grace brings us into right relationship with God, John Wesley takes the concept of sin very seriously. We all sin. And when we become aware of that sin, when we seek forgiveness, when we seek to move beyond that sin, justifying grace is available to us to help us. 
And then, as we seek to grow toward what John Wesley called Christian perfection, as we try to become increasingly faithful in following Jesus every single day of our lives, and it is a lifelong journey, God helps us with something called sanctifying grace. Now, if we were to ask most people, do you believe that Christian perfection is possible? Most people would probably have a problem with that. It's hard to imagine someone going around saying, well, yes, I'm there, I'm perfect. The thing is, we have to have a trajectory. Which way are you heading? And sanctifying grace helps us to move in that direction, deepening our walk with Christ every single day. The important part about this theology of grace, provenient, justifying, and sanctifying, is that it acknowledges that God is with us always. God starts the conversation. God starts the conversation with provenient grace saying, you're loved. And then we continue the conversation with our journey that sometimes is kind of rocky and sometimes involves sinning. And God responds with justifying grace. And then when we say, well, we really want to live out of our gratitude for you, God. We really, really want to do the best that we can. God answers again with sanctifying grace. And it's an ongoing journey. Um, John Wesley John Wesley formed the Methodist Church. He was an Anglican priest. He was a priest in the Church of England, and he didn't want people just to worship on Sunday, forget about Jesus the whole week, and come back to worship the next Sunday. He wanted people to be thinking about their relationship with God every single day and putting that into practice. And he, he had people meeting together in groups every single day. And he uh, told them that they needed to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. Just meant that they needed to think about that, be intentional about that, and be accountable for that uh, if they wanted to grow in Christ. Now, over the years, these groups, which were called societies, kind of fell away from Methodism. But there are places where they do exist including here in Virginia, if you go to Tangier Island, they still have Wesleyan societies. But just remember that no matter where you are in your life, God speaks and we respond. And then God speaks again and we respond. It's just an ongoing and a loving conversation that reminds us that God is always, always with us and always, always in our corner. Number eight, I am a United Methodist because the identity of the United Methodist Church was formed in conversation with God and with others. Just as our theology starts as a conversation with God in the play between God's grace and our response, our church's identity is also rooted in conversation. The United Methodist Church was formed in 1968. It was a merger. It was a merger of the Evangelical United Brethren Church and the Methodist Church. So we took United from Evangelical United, and we took Methodist from Methodist and became United Methodist. But prior to that merger, back in 1939, the church had merged once before. Um, Back in the 
era of the, the Civil War, the church had divided. It had divided um, into the Methodist Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church South, and the Methodist Protestant Church. So uh, three tenants divided over slavery that did not get back together again for the 70 to 80 years after the Civil War. Um, I'm sad to say that it took that long because when the church did split into those three factions or three different churches, uh, they were not kind to each other. They did not say kind and constructive things to each other. And it took a long time and a lot of dialogue before they merged again in 1939. So the dialogue included that there were differences, but as they worked to find common ground, they decided that what they held in common was far more important than what kept them apart. So we are products of those two mergers. Our bishop continues to be a leader uh, of dialogue on the sacraments with other denominations. The United Methodist Church is very involved in the Virginia Council of Churches, which is dedicated to ecumenical dialogue. Uh, we holy conference at annual conference. And I have to say, dialogue matters to me. I love hearing people's stories. I love being in conversation. I love that nothing is ever static. And I think that that really underscores that we are always seeking growth as we broaden our understanding and experience of what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Number seven, I am a United Methodist because the Bible is seen as God's living word. When we look at our Bible, it's, it's codified. We're not adding books to it. But we believe that God is still speaking. God is still speaking in our lives. Our, one of our bishops, Bishop Will Williman, says this, our church invites us as United Methodist Christians to think about God. Thinking about God is called theology, and all of us do it, even if we don't know that's what we're doing, because everyone tries to make sense out of life. Everyone wonders what we're doing here, and everyone would like to know where we will be tomorrow. So he says, there are no non-theologians. There's just good theology and bad theology. The thing is, how do we know which is which? United Methodists believe in something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. That is something that theologians came up with after Wesley's death, but they went through all of his writings, and believe me, that's a lot of material, and, and saw that four things really stood out, four, four pillars of his thought, scripture, reason, experience, and tradition. But scripture is primary, and reason, experience, and tradition inform it, but it remains primary. Will Williman again says this, you may think that the toughest task of a Christian is serving on the church's finance committee without losing your faith. No, your toughest task as a Christian is to hold your life and your church accountable to this peculiar, odd, not-made-for-television story called the gospel. 
The solution to what ails you is not found first in you. It is found wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And every day you have to jump out of bed, turn off the alarm, brush your teeth, and remind yourself that you live in the light of this peculiar story and not some other. He says, the world has a stock of competing stories, alternative saviors, rival accounts of how we live and move and have our being. As United Methodist Christians, we live by a story called the gospel. This doesn't mean that the Bible is a rule book. On many issues in life, the Bible will not tell you exactly what to do. But the Bible is helpful in placing us in the right context, whereby we can begin to ask and to answer our questions as Christians, as believers who feel that our lives are supported by and held accountable to the purposes of God. So some people might hear that statement and say, what do you mean? What do you mean that the Bible uh, doesn't tell you exactly what to do? Of course it tells you exactly what to do. But that is what theology exists for, to, to, kind, of, to kind of find overarching themes, to address uh, that which is ambiguous. Uh, for example, Christian ethics is all about trying to decide who to help and how to adjudicate certain situations. So if I were to ask you, the end of this particular sentence, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. What if somebody strikes your grandmother in a nursing home on the right cheek? Is she supposed to turn the other cheek? No. We would definitely intervene. Um, the Bible says, Jesus says, if someone asks for your coat, give to them your cloak also. He doesn't say what to do if five or six people ask for your coat. How do you decide who gets it? Uh, do you give it to the person who is neediest? Do you give it to the person who is oldest, the person who is youngest, the person who's related to you? So Christian ethics takes Jesus's teachings about love and about transformation and tries to apply those to those situations so that we can figure out some of the thornier issues with which we all wrestle every single day. But most of all, it affirms that God's word is a living word, that God is still speaking in practical ways to every aspect of our lives both personal and corporate. Sixth, and this is my last point for today, the sixth reason why I'm a United Methodist is because the United Methodist Church seeks to bring people into a living fellowship with God. How do we grow in grace? How do we become mature Christians? How do we become better followers of Jesus in the world? We seek to create a church community where those things become possible and become possible in many ways through worship, through music, through prayer, through the arts, through our giving, through our witness, through our fellowship, through the administration of our two sacraments, baptism and holy communion, through our education and spiritual formation, our interactions with others in our fellowship and well beyond. 
Here at First Church, we try to be true to our context of ministry. Um, if you go to First United Methodist Church in Charlottesville, the worship will be similar, but how they live out their faith in the community of Charlottesville is very different from how we live it out in our community of faith in Martinsville. We serve a different population. Uh, we're doing some study in our, our leadership about uh, demographics and some of the changes that are anticipated in those demographics because our, our goal is to always serve in this community. This church was planted here through the sacrifices of people who made it possible for us to be here so that we could be a beacon in Martinsville, Virginia. So um, we are constantly trying to honor both our history and our context of ministry. And I love that. I love that we are, that we are a contextual organization. Another way that we bring people into living fellowship with God is by acknowledging, instead of smoothing over, our differences. John Wesley said these words, think and let think. So John Wesley envisioned Christian community as a place where thinking differently than other people wasn't threatening, where there wouldn't be a push toward conformity, where differences would be respected and discussed, and where the life experiences that added up to those differences are stories that we are excited about hearing. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Stephen, the second grader who received the membership certificate for his family and thought it was a gift certificate and asked what he could get for it. And I think it's a wonderful question. It's what we all get. What we all get is a family. We get a place where we are welcomed and, and included and forgiven and taught and surrounded with love. A place where we can use our gifts to their fullest and receive the gifts of others and then be sent forth in the world to into the world to share those gifts as well. So our faith is a living faith. Our God is a living God. Our scripture is a living word. And I give thanks for that. This week, I really do encourage you to come up with your, the first five of the ten reasons why you're a United Methodist, why you come to this church, how John Wesley's theology touches you. How does it feel to understand that you're given provenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace? How do you feel God is helping you along on your journey? How do you feel that God is speaking to you? Where do you feel like you need to stand up and be heard? Where do you feel God leading you as you seek to be a transforming force in Martinsville and beyond? Where do you feel God is leading you to serve? Those are different questions and different, will be answered differently by each one of us. But I think that being intentional about asking the questions and seeking responses to those questions is really a, an avenue of growth for all of us. So I would encourage you to join me in this endeavor. And next Sunday, I will share my, my, top, my top five. Thank you. Will the ushers please come forward? As forgiven and reconciled people, let us now return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Let us pray. 
loving and eternal God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for all of the ways that you speak to us, that you are active in our lives, that you bring healing and wholeness and seek our well-being, that you give us gifts with which to serve, and you call others to serve as well, having equipped them to be in ministry. May all of our gifts be used in the upbuilding of your kingdom, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
seated. As you came in this morning, I hope that each one of you received an individually packaged uh, set of communion elements. If you did not, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you one. Um, if you have the kind that just has a little cup, when you peel the top off, there will be a wafer underneath. If you have the kind that looks like a, a small chalice, remember to flip it upside down, open the, the bread part first, and then flip it back to take off the part with the grape juice. The service of great thanksgiving of consecration is printed in your bulletins and is a short form of this prayer of consecration. Lift up your hearts and give thanks to God. Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to partake of the elements that you have received.
Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you now to stand and to affirm your faith with the Apostles' Creed, which is found in your red hymnals on page 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our closing hymn is Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, found in your red hymnals on page 384.
now may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Please be seated for the postlude. Thank you.